Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Gonna push tempo here. The Pelicans. Hold that follow through. He posed. That's right. This is what takes you to another level. What the Pell is up, everyone? This is Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans with your host Elliot Clough at Elliot Clough. On Twitter, that's E-L-I-O-T-C-L-O-U-G-H. And before we get started, make sure that if you are already subscribing on Apple Podcasts, you leave a rate and review. That really, really helps us out. And if you're not subscribed, go ahead and do that and follow wherever you happen to be listening to this podcast right here. And I know, I've said it before, I know some of y'all are listening on Apple Podcasts and not leaving a rate and review. And I'm telling you, we would really appreciate it. So it'd be great. It would be great if you did that. Today's podcast, Ethan Piotta of Prospect Pod and Overtime Heroics, joining us once again for the first time since March. He helped us evaluate where the Pels could go in the draft at that point in time. And obviously, plenty of things have changed in the last five months, six months, whatever. I don't know. And Ethan came back today to be our second ever returning guest he, he crushed it. Ethan's, Ethan's great at what he does. Again, I've said it before, he's kind of young in the game. He's been doing this for three years now, draft evaluation, and the guy just crushes it. He knows what he's talking about. He's, uh, believe it or not, played against some of these guys that we're evaluating. So that's pretty dope. Talked about that a little bit in the podcast. And today we talked about the needs that the Pelicans could address in this year's NBA draft. Starting point guard, center, and, of course, <laughs> three and D position. So here is my conversation with Ethan Piotta of Prospect Pod and Overtime Heroics. And we are joined by Ethan Piotta of Prospect Pod and Overtime Heroics, our second ever repeat guest also. Very excited to have Ethan be joining us for the first time since March. Done so much for uh, prospect pod and and really gained some, some traction on on the pod over there ethan how you doing today man i'm doing great as you said i'm honored to be the the second ever repeat repeat <laughs> guest so uh thanks for having me on so great to be here yeah you're you're killing the game man you, i've seen how much uh your pod is gaining traction and how, how are things going over there great great so yeah i i um i record pretty much weekly i would say episodes of the prospect podcast that's what we call ourselves just myself and, and, and one other guy. And, and we've had, I think, great success through our first 10 episodes or so uh, just talking about NBA drafts. So if you're, if you're looking for something really NBA draft specific, um, I think that's the, the place to go or at least check us out. Uh, but it's, it's, it's definitely been a, a fun experience because uh, that's my, pretty much my first ever podcast I've, I've kind of tried to run and, and go through. So, 
Sure. And I said it on our pod earlier this week that I find it way more difficult to evaluate future NBA prospects as opposed to NFL prospects. It's just a completely different game. And Ethan does a really good job of it. He's watching film like hell. So if there's a pod to check out and and you'll hear from him today again, but we're very excited to have Ethan on. He's been doing a great job. He's a young guy, but, but doing great stuff. So we talked a lot about the Pell's needs this offseason uh, on the podcast and whether the, the Pell should go into free agency or, or the draft. And, and there's three clear needs that we've talked about. We talked about a little bit the last time Ethan was on, and that was the need for a 3 and D wing, a backup point guard, and a center, or a big four who can spread the floor and protect the rim and get boards. Now, Ethan, you said you're pretty familiar with the Pelicans roster. You looked at what the needs are. Are there any other needs that, that stick out to you other than those three that I just listed? In terms of needs, no, you pretty much hit it spot on. Maybe adding another explosive guard, scoring punch kind of guy off the bench would also be nice. The Pelicans, I think I said this exact same thing last time, are just in such an extraordinary situation. Obviously, the season didn't end, I'm sure, how many fans wanted it to end with the, you know, the amount of success in the bubble that they had. But they're in a situation where they're building with a young core. Obviously, there are some, I, I would say, newly formed question marks. I don't know what your guys' feelings are on Lonzo Ball and, and a few other guys that, that you know, could have potentially changed trajectories over these last few months. But obviously, having a guy like Zion Williamson and, and the other pieces, Jackson Hayes, I think, is an emerging piece for this team. And then Nikhil Alexander-Walker, I, I still think, has tremendous upside uh, for where he was drafted last year. He was a great pick at where he was, where he was valued. But I, I think you pretty much hit it spot on with the, in terms of, you know, they can almost go best player available, but for needs, a 3 and D wing, you can never have enough of them in the NBA, no matter what team you're looking at, especially for a team like a Pelicans that, you know, the Pelicans that's growing as a young core, has a nice little mix mash of, of veterans and, and young guys adding a, a three and D wing in this draft should be priority number one. Definitely. And like Antonio Daniel said, when he was on the podcast, you can never have too much shooting on an NBA roster. So three and D will definitely help out. And <laughs> in terms of defense, the Pels could definitely use some help there as well. Who knows where Derek favors is going to go this off season. Drew an incredible individual defender. Zoe can hold his own, but other than that, you're uh, not getting a whole lot of defense from the, from the Pelicans roster. But as we look forward to the 2020 NBA draft coming up here in October, there were a few names that we talked about again on this last time we, we had you on in March. And the three that I listed more recently on the podcast earlier this week in terms of acquiring a 3 and D guy from this year's draft was Isaac Okoro, Patrick Williams from FSU, and then Sadiq Bey. He's rising up draft boards and is one of the most frequently talked about Pelicans, possible Pelicans picks going into this draft. Are those three names that stick out to you, or is there any other guys? Do you think they'll fall to 13? Right. I, I mean, I, I would say the ultimate dream scenario for, for Pelicans fans out there is if somehow Devin Vassell fell to 13. From everything I've heard, from everything I, I've read and, and been told, that's most likely not going to happen. He's pretty much solidified himself as a top 10 pick with his, with his talent level, what he did at FSU. Because he's, I think, for the most surefire, positive, impactful 3 and D guy in this class. When you're just talking about, you know, high floor, potential high ceiling, he's going to be an impactful guy. My thought is that he isn't going to fall to 13. So you're completely right about, I would say, Patrick Williams for sure 
also not only fits the need of kind of a three and D two way guy, but can play some, you know, space creating four uh, and maybe even back up five at times with his athleticism and his shot blocking ability. I, I think he's truly one of the most versatile guys in this class. As for Isaac Okoro, also a great name, someone that probably will go before 13, but again, should be an automatic kind of like Vassell. If he's there at 13, you pull the trigger. That's a guy that is, you know, a developed shot away from being one of the best players in this class, honestly. And it all just depends on how, you know, how you value that shot and, and his potential fix uh, of it. But I, I'm not as high on Sadiq Bey as, as others. I know he's been someone that's definitely risen around NBA rooms, risen up draft boards and, and stuff like that. My thought with him is that I, I think, you know, although he shot 45%, he'll bring some shooting to the NBA. That number is probably going to dip a little bit. But defensively, his MO is kind of being a perimeter lockdown guy. I think that his movement worries me a lot more than others. I think Villanova's tremendous defensive scheme under Jay Wright masked some of his defensive deficiencies last year. I, I'm not completely comfortable with picking him in the lottery. I feel the same way about Bay. I mean, I, I haven't done near the evaluation that you have, obviously, but Bay seems to be a guy, for whatever reason, is, is clearly ascending up draft boards, but he doesn't seem like a guy who has a high ceiling. And in the lottery, you always go for high ceiling. W- would you agree with that? 100%. I mean, I think it's, there's a slight you know, change in philosophy, and obviously everyone can have their own draft philosophy. But you're right, the, the lottery is for upside. I think for the Pelicans, there is that slight change because they do have pieces already, young pieces like Zion Williamson, like potentially Brandon Ingram if he's coming back um, and, and others. And, and so it's, it's maybe a little bit of a shift into, okay, we're one or two roll pieces away from now adding, you know, these high, you know, high floor guys that could take us to, uh, you know, can play playoff minutes ultimately. And I, I, I'm just, I'm not there with Sadiq Bey, unfortunately. I think you're completely right about his lack of upside as well. I just think defensively, a lot of teams are going to be drafting him for that three and D package. I'm really worried about putting him out there as a primary point of attack defender. I just, I don't buy his movement whatsoever. And so that's why I'm, I'm definitely more out on him than some of the other three and D guys that you mentioned. I'm talking about Devin Vassell. I've looked into him a little bit too. I've seen him be in the top 10 of a lot of mocks. My concern with him, obviously, he has some room to grow. He's a, he's a young guy. He can get into the weight room at the professional level. But that 6'5", 180 pounds is not necessarily what the Pels are looking for. So what, what I'm thinking is more of the Patrick Williams type, the 6'8 guy who's a little bit longer. The Pels really struggled with LeBron James, the Giannis types, the, the wings that are capable of handling the ball, shooting and attacking the basket. Obviously, you're not going to stop the Giannis's. You're not going to stop the LeBrons, especially with a rookie. But that's my concern with Devin Vassell. I, as far as his size currently, he appears to be more of a guy who's going to guard a one, two, and three in certain occasions. Is that something that you see as well? I'm not as worried about his frame. I think, you know, this is a guy, you're he's all-time level instincts defensively. One of the probably best team defenders I've ever evaluated since I've done this. Keep, I've only done this for three years, but, you know, speaking Still. of that, that, does, that does, right, it does show high praise. I mean, he's an absolute game record defensively. I, I actually just recently went over one of his games against Duke. Cassius Stanley drove the ball to the left side of the floor, I think, one time in the first half. Trey Jones did it twice. That's where Vassell uh, mainly was throughout the game guarding Matthew Hurt. 
And every single time it was a disruption, it was either a drive stop or a tip pass or deflection or something. He gets his hands on everything. He's absolutely everywhere defensively. But I do agree with you in the fact that I have Patrick Williams, his teammate at FSU, ranked a bit higher than him. Uh, I think I have Williams at eight, Vassell at nine. And that's because I, I think Williams' his upside is, is just tremendous. You're looking at a guy that, I mean, although he didn't produce, you know, extraordinary numbers at FSU, 6'8", versatile beast defensively, someone that was running the pick and roll as the ball handler. Uh, you just don't see that very often from 6'8 guys. I, I think he's going to be a future potential 40% or so three-point shooter with, with tremendous defensive versatility and, and kind of does fit into the mold of what the Pelicans need in terms of not only getting a two-way uh, high upside play with a great base to build upon, but also kind of a guy that you can throw in as a small ball five. You can deploy in a bunch of different lineups as that kind of face up, stretch the floor or four. You know, you need as many guys as, that, you know, as those as possible. You mentioned it can never have enough shooting, especially on a team with the Pelicans that relies on spacing, that relies on, you know, creating space for their stars, for their guys that are going to have the ball uh, the majority of the time. I think either two of those are, are really good plays. Yeah, you articulated that really well, a lot better than a guy who does much less research on, on the uh, NBA draft. And I mean, yeah, you hit it on the head. All the reasons that I like Patrick Williams coming from that 13th spot out of FSU. He's just the classic FSU guy who's tall and incredibly lanky and can do a lot. Do you see his ceiling being more than a three and D wing in this league? Do you think he can be that third star with a Zion Williamson, with a Brandon Ingram, should the Pels grab him and, and he develop the way you believe he can? Absolutely. I think, you know, in kind of a third star in that role for the Pelicans, might, might not be on any team in the NBA, but definitely for the Pelicans, if he is to grow with his upside, I firmly believe he can end up being one of the best players in this draft class. Uh, I only have really his upside knocked behind uh, Pokashevsky and LaMelo Ball at 1-2 in terms of just overall upside. And obviously you can, you can do with that what you, what you wish. But for Williams, I mean, he's a guy that I, I think is going to develop some self-creation ability, some self-creation equity offensively uh, over the course of his career. I think his shot is, it's got great indicators in terms of just his touch around the rim, was a really solid free throw shooter at FSU, you know, showed willingness to shoot off the catch, off the dribble. It makes me really confident in the, you know, the potential trajectory of where his shot could go and, you know, this is just the offense we're talking about. Again, this is a guy that was guarding ones primarily. I love how Leonard Hamilton at FSU, Leonard Hamilton, great coach, by the way. I love how he was able to just kind of throw him out, this 18-year-old kid in the fire, have him guard Cole Anthony, Trey Jones, Elijah Hughes, number of other guys in the ACC on the perimeter. And he, he held his own for most of the – yes, there are questions about his, his movement. I've seen some people say that his quads, his thighs are, are a little bit too big for his body, which is insane. <laughs> uh, but I think with any NBA strength and conditioning program, they can kind of mold these guys' bodies into what they need to be. And so that's the hope with Patrick Williams because he's got great instincts defensively, great rim protection ability. Again, a guy that's always in the passing lanes, really, I think, a plus team defender. And, you know, you could be looking at him as a guy that is guarding the premier big wings in the NBA uh, in the future, which is invaluable to any NBA, NBA team. We've been talking about this as a need for such a long time, basically since March on the podcast. And we've really looked to free agency to 
using the mid-level exception, assuming that the Pels don't tear down the roster to the degree that is a possibility this offseason. So should the Pels hold on to the 13th pick or maybe what we're hearing is trade Lonzo and get that eighth pick? I, I love I love the grab of, of Patrick Williams. He's I love what you're saying right now. He's he appears to be the guy that I think would fit the best role uh, in, in this uh, year's NBA draft where the Pelicans are sitting. And we'll talk about what you believe to be the best option for them a little bit later on in today's podcast. But the second thing that we talked about at the top of the show was the need for a backup point guard and <laughs> maybe a starting point guard. Who knows uh, what the future <laughs> of, of Lonzo is going to look like in New Orleans. But at 13, personally, I don't see the backup point guard need being filled by what's available in this draft. What I expect to see, the, the Pels are at 39, 42, and 60 in the second round. Maybe they package those and move up in the second round. Maybe offer up another second round pick or a first round pick in the future to move up and get a different backup point guard. But I mean, I just don't see anybody at 13. I mean, there's Killian Hayes, who a lot of people love out of France, who's pretty much guaranteed to go in the top 10 in a lot of mocks. Uh, and he's not necessarily what the Pels are looking for. What are you seeing at 13 for the Pels if they decide to go for the backup point guard at that, at that 13 spot? Right. This point guard, I mean, this has always been, I think even since March, I might have mentioned it on the show, this is a deep point guard draft class. I think there are going to be some options there at 13 for the Pelicans. My favorite personally would be Kyra Lewis Jr. out of Alabama. I think he is an ideal fit for what the Pelicans are, are, are building with. If they do choose to go back up point guard, again, he's probably the fastest player in this draft, the most explosive player in this draft off the bounce, tremendous vision out of the pick and roll. His game's going to translate, I think, in, an, in a seamless way to the NBA just with his speed. Uh, the biggest thing I always noticed when I went from – the biggest thing I recently noticed when you know I went from watching all this college basketball during quarantine, all this tape, all this film, I flipped on the NBA, it's always the speed, it's always the spacing that is the most – glaring difference in terms of play style and that's why I think that a guy like Kyra Lewis benefits from that tremendously I think his floor you're looking at is as a career kind of his six man uh, uh, spot and that's I mean (laughs) that's a lot more than you can say for a lot of these guys in this class I have him ranked at seven in my big board right now another guy I just want to throw out there Tyrese Maxey a lot of people are kind of uh, you know middling on him again six two I would say guard from Kentucky don't know whether he's going to be a shooting guard or a point guard because he's a little bit undersized, but he also doesn't have tremendous ball handling ability. But uh, a guy who could fit into that secondary role, that secondary score with, again, he's going to bring one of the most underrated skills in this draft, and that's his perimeter defense to the Pelicans if he were to to be drafted there. And that's honestly, you know, adding him to the duo of potentially Lonzo and Drew Holiday on the perimeter uh, is enticing to me. So I would say either two of those guys, if they were to fall at 13, would absolutely not be bad options. So looking at Kyrie, excuse me, Kyra Lewis Jr.'s stats out of Alabama this year, the last two years, I should say, the concern for Pelicans fans, a lot of the concern for Pelicans fans when it comes to Lonzo is, well, in the bubble, he just kind of sucked. He was very, he was bad. I mean, it was a large reason why the Pels went two and six, uh, just, I think he was two of 13 or two of 14 in that first game against the Utah Jazz, could not put his shot together. And this is the first year he was really shooting well. And a lot of that credit goes to Fred Vinson. And who knows if he's coming back next year with 
the letting go of Alvin Gentry this offseason. And looking at Kyra Lewis's three-point percentage, it was hovering around 36%. Is that something that you see that can be improved as he, as he you know, gains experience in the NBA? Absolutely. That's arguably one of his, his biggest swing skills as well as the three-point shooting. Because I'm going to be honest, pretty much everything else is there scoring-wise. And he'll have some room to grow. And, you know, he was the, the Helio, if you will, at Alabama this year. So he was taking a high volume of, of shots from, from all over the floor. And I, I honestly just think, I, I think with, with Kyra, it's not really even him being this, you know, tremendous three-point shooter. I think if, he, if he's in league average from three-point line, he's going to be a positive in terms of what he's going to bring offensively, just with his playmaking, his creation abilities, you know, shot creation, creation for others, getting to the rim, getting to the free throw line. I'm, I'm personally, I'm not, I'm not, not worried about that. Uh, it is something that he could look to improve, which would absolutely take his game to the next level, but a good mechanics, you know, good base to build upon 80% free throw shooter or so this year at Alabama. And I like the volume. I think he shot about five threes per game at Alabama this year. So I, again, not something I'd be you know, tremendously worried about when drafting him, but definitely something to keep an eye on. He was 56 of 153 this year on three-point attempts. And then it's basically the same concern for Tyrese Maxey, shooting 29% from three as a freshman at Kentucky. And is it the same concern? Is it more of a concern with Maxey? Obviously, 7% is a pretty big drop, and he doesn't have two years of experience at the collegiate level. He just has the one. Right. Definitely more of a concern with Maxi, although at least for me, I project Maxi, I put out a video on it to be eventually at some point in his career, an above average three point shooter, uh, which is kind of crazy, you know, considering he threw out the number 28%. That's what he did shoot this year at Kentucky. But, you know, watching his tape in terms of just long twos, which is what I look for in, in shooting translation, long twos, the volume that he took him at free throw percentage floaters, touch around the rim. Everything is there for Tyrese Maxey. I think he's a, a few simple mechanic fixes away from eventually becoming, and I'm not saying right away, but eventually becoming at some point in his career an above average three-point shooter for the NBA level. I'm talking around 40% maybe. His mechanics are pretty much beautiful for what you know, he brought to the table, even though he did shoot 28%. But great lower body. The base is always there with him, whether it's off the dribble, off the catch. I think he's one guy that I definitely feel even more confident in projecting to be a better three-point shooter than Kyra by the end of both of their careers. Now we're talking about both of these, these guys possibly going at 13 for the Pelicans. Kyra is not a guy who I've seen mock that high very frequently. I know you said you're high on him. Tyrese Maxey is a guy who is typically mocked around the top 15 from what I've seen do you think the Pels get the value that they want should they draft either of these guys at that spot in this year's NBA draft? Yeah, I mean, at least for me, both of these guys are in my top 10. I have Lewis at seven. I have Maxi at 10. So I feel, I feel more than confident, you know, more than confident to, to pull the trigger on each of these guys, either one of these guys at 13 if I was New Orleans. Again, that is, you know, talking if that is the need that they are hoping to fill, especially if Lonzo Ball is out of the picture, I think it becomes you know, much more realistic of a need of a spot to fill. But I, I, again, we, we kind of mentioned it, 3 and D wing, I would definitely say is still the priority. But if you strike out on some of those guys or if you know, the front office isn't as high on a Patrick Williams or an Okoro or they go even earlier, which is entirely possible, I, I think a pretty good consolation would be to get to that backup point guard spot 
Uh, I think, you know, either one of Lewis or Maxi is, is a, is a really good value pick at 13, especially for what the Pelicans need. Now, if the Pels decide to go with a Williams or, or with somebody else at that 13th spot, a three and D player, as opposed to a point guard, and we know Griffin's an aggressive GM and he's not a GM. Trajan Langdon is the GM, but president of basketball operations. We know that the Pels are trying to change the culture in New Orleans and be aggressive right now. So should they package some of those picks and decide to move up or maybe even send an older player or a lesser valued player on the roster to another team and move up to get a backup point guard out of this year's draft, maybe in the late first, maybe in the early second, what kind of names are you looking at? Two names that I've listed are Cassius Winston and Nico Mannion. And those are two names that I recognize. I know Cassius Winston's known as a good culture guy, are there any other names that you're looking at? What are your thoughts on those two names? Yeah, so the, the, I think those are two great options, especially even if the Pelicans aren't to move from 39 or 42, if they're able to just stay put. I think there's a pretty good chance Winston would be there at any one of those picks. Uh, Mannion, probably not so much. He's, he's kind of a late first round, early second round guy. Not someone I personally would trade up for. I'm, I'm just not as in on Mannion as others. But I think with Winston – you're getting a guy that is going to be, like you mentioned, great culture guy, great person off the court. He's going to be tremendous in the locker room, which is why I think he's going to be a really solid pro. But also, I think a tremendous three-point shooter in a, in a lesser role than he was at at Michigan State. He's going to be able to play off ball a lot more than he did, which you know could maximize his value as a shooter even more, which is kind of scary to think about because he's one of the best off-dribble, off-catch shooters in college basketball last year. Obviously, the downsides with him is that he is a bit older. Uh, I, I think Malachi Flynn is a guy that you can throw in there. As, you know, maybe you move up a few spots, maybe seven or so spots to, to try to get him. But also someone that could be there at, at 39. I think Mal, you know, Malachi Flynn from San Diego State, definitely someone that I'd be looking into. But honestly, I, you know, with the depth of this class, there's going to be guys like Peyton Pritchard and, and Jalen Harris from Nevada. You can even throw in Miles Powell and, and Marcus Howard that are going to probably be there to the late second round points. And so I think I, you know, if I was the Pelicans, at least I'd probably stay put and see who falls there. I don't think anyone is truly worth, you know, trading up nine or so spots for and, and sacrificing future draft capital unless someone, you know, crazy falls off the board, which is, I, I don't think could happen. I mean, another guy I like to see is Grant Riller. Could be there at 39, to be honest. I have him at 14 on my board, but, you know, one of the great shot creators, space creators in this class probably one of the best I've seen in college basketball doing it while he was at college of Charleston. He'd be an absolute home run at either 39 or 42. And are you feeling that the Pels should stick where they're at, at that 39 and 42 spot because of the depth of this class in terms of the point guard position? I think so. Yeah. And I, I believe there's going to be guys like, like you mentioned, Winston and, and others that will be available at those spots as opposed to trading up for a guy like Mannion. I don't, I don't know if, I'd sacrifice future draft capital to move up, you know, nine or so spots. Fair enough. Now, as we look to that last third and final position that the Pels are looking for, possibly in this draft, possibly in free agency, it's, it's that center position because who knows if they're bringing back Derek favors. He was oh, fan base was not happy with him during the bubble. <laughs> and Jackson Hayes is a guy that has a very high ceiling, but there's He's leaving a lot to be desired on the defensive end of the floor. Jaleel Okafor is an, uh, a free agent this offseason, and I highly doubt the Pels bring him back. Now, at that 13th spot, 
is there anybody from that four or five position that you see to be worth it? I know you like Onyeka Kongwu as I do, but there's no way he'll be around for that 13th yeah. spot. And I said on the pod on Monday that there's basically, I mean, I just don't, I just don't see the value there for that 13th spot for the Pels right. should they go to that center position. Right. I definitely, I, I, I would, I would say no because I think a Kongwu is going to go as he should probably top five, even another guy, you know, in James Wiseman, that's often talked about. If you were to pull guys on Twitter talking about the draft, he might be there at 13, honestly. <laughs> uh, but uh, he's, he's going to be, he's probably going to be gone in the top 10, especially in this year's draft. So I, I really could see no value uh, in drafting, you know, even reaching for someone like my next best center on the board, Xavier Tillman from Michigan State. Although I, I you know, I, I love the pick of, of Tillman. I have him at 18, especially for the Pel- Pelicans. Just talking about, you know, need fit. I wouldn't reach at the 13th pick for a guy like that. As we talk about that five position, you know, you could look for a four kind of guy to, to, play maybe a small ball five, maybe just be a, a spacer for Zion should the Pels decide to play small ball. And I've seen mocks where – I've seen two different mocks where Pokusevsky from Serbia goes to the Pels at 13, and I've seen him go to the Pels at 39. What do you think about him? That's my guy, Elliot. That's one of my favorite guys in this entire draft. I have him at four overall. And you're talking about someone who – I think you're kind of spoiling my pick here because I would say that's that's who I'd pick if I was the Pelicans at 13 if he's there absolutely because I think there's a very real chance that he could be. Uh, this is this is a guy with I would say the second greatest upside in this class, maybe even the first. You know, it depends on how high you value Lamella Ball. Um, but not only that, everyone makes him out to kind of be this extreme, you know, boomer bust candidate. You're talking about a guy who's 6'11", potentially has – there's rumors that he's grown to 7'1", 7'2", that he said it himself, and he's listed as a wing, listed as a shooting guard. Tremendous movement. He literally has the movement that, like, Kristaps Porzingis, you know, wants to have in terms of a 7'1 guy, 7-foot guy uh, on the perimeter. He's a tremendous moving shooter, probably one of the best shooting packages in this entire class. Has so much room to grow. Obviously, is extremely young. He's only played four professional games at the age of 18. I mean, I would be – if I was a Pelicans fan, he was there at 13, I'd be screaming for him because I think that's someone uh, – when, when you're talking about this draft, especially for the Pelicans, if you add him to a trio of Ingram and Williamson and he does pan out, I mean, that's it, – it, it could be really scary. So who's the comp for Poke? I can never pronounce that dude's last name right. Pokusevsky. Is, is, it, is it Chris Stapps? Is it a guy like Nikola Jokic? What are you looking at there? For I know everybody either loves or hates comps. I don't know how you feel about them, but if there is a comp for, for Pokusevsky, who are you looking at? I'm kind of in the middle on comps, but honestly, like I'm not just saying this. There's no comparison for how this guy plays. Like I, I've tried. It's, it's like – it's. It's not to say Porzingis because he doesn't have the, you know, the upper body strength of Porzingis, but also Porzingis doesn't have his movement. I mean, again, it's just you don't see guys 6'11", whatever he is, we're going to find out pretty soon, and that could alter his draft position, honestly. 6'11", seven-foot shooting guard, small forward, you just do not see that. Someone with his ball handling, someone with his playmaking, yeah, it's just it's, it's insane to me because I, I think he's a guy that is absolutely not going to play the five at the NBA level. He doesn't have near the amount of strength needed but is someone that can play a four role can play a three role 
and can be kind of that secondary rim protector on the floor as well, just with his length and his shot blocking ability. Uh, so to be, to be quite honest with you, I don't have a call for Pokashevsky. It's, it's something I've tried. I've surely tried on over the draft process, but I mean, he, he's kind of just one of his own in terms of just the blend of size movement and, and, you know, upside that he has. For the Pelicans at 13, you mentioned Pokushevsky from Serbia being a guy that would be great for them to take at 13. Now, obviously the Pels, they're, they're probably not going to get Onyeka Kangu. They're probably not going to get LaMelo Ball. They're probably not going to get Anthony Edwards. But as far as feasible picks at 13, could you give us a list of three to five guys where it's like, okay, they won that pick. That's a great pick at 13. Okay, yeah, so absolutely. I would say one far and away is Pokashevsky. If he is, and I might, I might be a little bit biased, but if he was to fall at 13, I'd say that's a home run. I, I think guys we've already mentioned uh, – you know, Kara Lewis, Patrick Williams, Devin Vassell, and I'd probably add Isaac Okoro to those lists, to that list in terms of five guys that are absolute winners if they fall to 13. I think you have no regret about pulling the trigger on, on any one of those five. I like it. I like those names. I like those names a lot. Again, I haven't seen a lot of Pokashevsky, but after you're hyping him up, I'm definitely going to go to YouTube and, and watch <laughs> as much as I can. Maybe uh, he'll be my guy as well. So as we look forward to the second round, that 39, 42, 60 slots, assuming the Pels stick around there, are there any sleepers, guys who can contribute, be a draft and stash guy like Didi Lozada this last year? What are names that we should be watching out for that we might not know come that second round that you think would be good fits for the Pelicans? This is a guy that I'll start off with, uh, Zeke Naji from Arizona. This is a guy that's risen up draft boards, I'd, I'd say pretty substantially since the season ended. But obviously, freshman big had a really nice, productive season at Arizona. Could very well be a first-round pick, but if he was to somehow fall to 39, I think that could potentially solve the backup center pro, uh, problem for the Pelicans. I, I think he'd be tremendous value at that spot. In terms of draft and stash, Georgios Kalitzakis is a guy who's now 21 years old, uh, he's immediately draft eligible, so he wouldn't so far as be a, a stash guy. He'd be someone that could potentially come over and, and play right away. But a six-seven-two guard that's not being talked about enough with his ball handling ability and the biggest swing skill for him is, is really is really his shooting. He's played professionally for Greece and, and you know for his club team at a high level over the last three years. I think he more than enough warrants a spot at thirty-nine or forty-two to be drafted, or even sixty if he's there. I would say either two of those guys would be really good like sleeper options for the Pelicans at, at 39 or 42. One more need the Pelicans have that we've talked a little bit about, especially at the top when we were talking about Patrick Williams, was the need for just anybody, literally anybody who can help on Team D that's fast enough to guard threes, big enough to guard fours, and whose name is not Kenrich Williams. <laughs> um <laughs> Is there anybody in this class that you think that can, can step up and, and be that for them? Should they not go Patrick Williams? Should they not go somebody else at 13? Should they move up? Well, what have you? Anybody that you think the Pels can feasibly grab probably in that second round for a guy that can step into the roster and, and help out right away? I, I wouldn't say so in, in terms of the level that Williams or Vassell could potentially bring, obviously. But at 39 or 42, another one of my, my guys in this draft is Nate Hinton, Nate Hinton from Houston. Just kind of all over the place, 3 and D guy, really solid frame, 
and he's averaging almost 10 rebounds per game as a six, five guard. And he's someone that is, you know, just an ultimate winner. Really. When you look at him, tremendous team defender can knock down the open three. And he's, I think really on track to becoming a prototypical three and D guy. Uh, if he's able to pan out, I think that'd be great value in terms of guys, you know, that have upside to play that three and D that the Pelicans need to fill in terms of the, you know, second round. There you have it, Pels fans. There's tons of names that we can check out and film to watch going forward towards the NBA draft in October as the Pelican season has already come to a close and we have some hope, some things to look forward to other than the coaching carousel, possible free agency, and uh, the like. Now, Ethan, being in the position that you're in as an NBA draft evaluator, who's your favorite guy out of this year's draft. We've heard a lot about Anthony Edwards, Lamelo Ball, James Wiseman, Onyeka, and then there's kind of somewhat of a drop-off. Who's your favorite guy coming out of this year's draft where you think he's going to be a superstar? I mean, I, I kind of talked about Pokashevsky, but I, I would say it's either him or definitely Lamelo Ball, who I have at one, and he's kind of in his own tier, obviously, now for me. Uh, probably the highest upside in this draft, just going to be a tremendous NBA player. He's going to immediately slot into any NBA team, any lineup, and run an offense successfully, I feel like. I mean, he's got outlier uh, passing ability, outlier vision. If you, My favorite thing about LaMelo, and this is some least favorite thing about him, is his interview with Mike Schmitz, if you've watched that, the film breakdown that they did. And Mike Schmitz obviously is um, tremendous at what he does, but he's trying to get out you know, he's trying to get out these, these basketball terms from LaMelo. Like, why did you do this? Why did you do this? And everything LaMelo answers is just instincts, instincts, instincts. And it's crazy to me that if he's able to, you know, now assimilate himself into an NBA lineup, an NBA, you know, franchise and, and kind of, you know, develop even more as a passer. Uh, he, this is a guy that's making, you know, three quarter football passes, three quarter baseball passes, you know, and not breaking a sweat doing it. I mean, he's got tremendous vision. And not to mention, he's also six seven. There's questions about his maturity, but he's, he's, I mean, I can speak from experience, even playing against him a few years ago in, in, in AAU ball. He's a guy that's matured so much over the last two years, just in terms of how he carries himself and how he presents himself. I, I think he's 100% NBA ready and should be the first overall pick, you know, fit thrown out the window. Before I throw out my next question, you played against LaMelo Ball in AAU basketball? I did, yeah. You know, being in the SoCal circuit, there's a lot of guys. I think I mentioned on one of my old shows that a Kongwu once gave me a concussion even. <laughs> I just ran, just, just rammed straight into me. So, that, I mean, this is kind of the first class where, like, I was watching college basketball this year, and I was like, man, there's – I think it was even – I think it was the USC-UCLA game I was watching. I was like, there's probably eight to seven kids that I've played either in high school basketball – or in some AAU setting on the floor right now, which is pretty cool to look at, honestly. That's wild. Did you plan on playing college basketball at all? I did, yeah, I did. I didn't have a good enough senior year to land in D1 offers, but I, I, had, my, I had my fair share of, of D2s and D3s. I, just, I chose to go with my major in sports journalism at, uh, at Arizona State. So I, I, I ultimately just I didn't, I didn't think it was worth it to play at a spot where you know, I wasn't going to have the full college experience, I guess. Fair enough. Damn, I wasn't expecting that. We got a gem, hidden gem in, the, in today's <laughs> podcast. So you're saying that you believe Melo to be the top overall pick. He should be the top overall pick to the Timberwolves. Do you think, I mean, 
do you think that's something that the T-Wolves should do? Do you think they should move off the pick and try to trade it? Do you think the Knicks will, you know, be the Knicks and give up their entire roster to go get LaMelo Ball? What what do you see happening there? Right. I think think the Wolves – well, at least from what I've heard so far is that they're leaning towards Anthony Edwards and it's still really, really early. So I mean, there's no solidified information out yet. But I, I mean, I think if you're talking about just the best player available, best player in this draft, I think adding Lamella at one would definitely be what I was, would, you know, what I would do. But I, again, I think it's very possible. Probably the best fit in this draft, honestly, is the Knicks for Lamella, just because he's going to fit right into that roster right away. And he's going to be, you know, He's going to be their guy, honestly. From from day one, he has potential to be their guy. I, I think that's the best fit for him. Obviously, he's not going to fall to number eight, but I could definitely see either one of the, the Knicks or the Pistons putting together packages to move up to specifically two for the Warriors. I think it would make a lot of sense for the Warriors to trade down from two, accumulate some you know future draft capital, and probably get one of the you know similar guys, whether it's Denny Avdia or a Patrick Williams or Devin Vassell that they're looking at at two at you know eight or seven or wherever it may be there you have it Pels fans Ethan Piotta of Prospect Pod and Overtime Heroics Ethan how can we follow you on Twitter how can we check out your podcast right so you can follow me on Twitter at Ethan Piotta and then you can follow my podcast on Twitter as well at Prospect Pod we're on Apple Music or sorry Apple Podcasts Apple Music Apple Podcasts Spotify Anchor pretty much everywhere so check us out. We have 10 episodes so far. We're going to be hopefully dropping another one this weekend, which is kind of going to go over some of the mock draft, you know, fit Intel-based guys in, in the lottery. One of these teams we just covered, which is the, the New Orleans Pelicans, which I'm certainly excited to see what they do end up doing at 13, because I think this is a, a roster and potentially, you know, big time offseason ahead. But if they, you know, they hit in free agency, they hit in the coaching carousel, and they hit on a draft pick, they're going to be, you know, a, a potential playoff team in the West next year. We'll definitely be sure to share that podcast and uh, let you know how you can check out the rest of Ethan's Ethan's show on on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, what have you. Ethan, we're definitely going to have you back on. I know you're going to be a busy guy come draft time, but should the Pels move up or or make any crazy changes, we'll definitely uh, be in contact with you. Hopefully we can get you on again, either before the draft or or after draft to, to help us learn about who the Pels take in the in this uh, year's coming NBA draft in October. Ethan, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me on. Looking forward to it. And there you have it, Pels fans. Awesome conversation with Ethan Piotta today of Prospect Pod and of overtime heroics the young man just kills it he does great on that podcast make sure you go check that out make sure you follow him on twitter to get some constant evaluations of guys that are coming out of the nba draft pels fans make sure you go follow at elliot clough on twitter you're going to be getting a ton of pelicans content right over there and should you have any questions or concerns about the podcast you can always respond to any of my tweets that pertain to the pelicans and while you're here make sure you subscribe leave a rate and review do it on apple podcasts that really 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 helps us out i know i say that every podcast but it really really does and we would greatly greatly appreciate it make sure to go follow believe on instagram twitter and facebook and you can check out a plethora of their other podcasts on believe.com or just head over to apple Podcasts, spotify or google play you can check out a 
bunch of Pelicans coverage on SB Nation's The Bird Rights. That will include work from former guests like Preston Ellis, Ali Cosell, Chris Connor, Kevin Berrios, and David Grubb. Don't forget, go follow at Elliot Clough on Twitter and make sure to check out the Apple Podcasts rate and review option on that platform. Pels fans, once again, I am Elliot Clough, and this was Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.